the pilots are really good at avoiding turbulence when they can, so you're not ever going to end up in in uh, really bad turbulence. So it's it's the turbulence thing that's not going to kill you. Uh, I had a woman on a course the other day that every time the seatbelt goes sign goes on, she thinks she's going to die. And I, by the end of the course, I had her laughing about it. <laughs> I said, when you when you're on an aeroplane next and and the seatbelt sign goes boom, you're going to poke everyone around you and go, we're not going to die. We're not going to die. <laughs> you are entering the Age Rebels Revolution. The intelligent podcast for over 40s who want to live their best life and defy your numbers. We are your hosts, Summer Bentley and Isaac Xavier. Come on in. Captain Jeremy Burfoot was born in New Zealand as one of five boys. He joined the RNZAF as a navigator at the age of 18 before learning to fly privately. He spent time as a pilot in Papua New Guinea before being employed by Qantas in 1984. Jeremy made 747 captain at the age of 31. Then he took a leave of absence from Qantas to work for Japanese airlines based in Anchorage and Honolulu. In 1995, he returned to Qantas, where he remained until December 2020. At that time, he was an A380 captain. He took redundancy from Qantas due to COVID-19 outbreak. This was the beginning of a whole new experience in life for this very special man. Today, Jeremy shares with us his experience of losing his career, falling into depression due to the many job rejections as a result of his age, and how he navigated his way through it to now become a successful author and entrepreneur. Jeremy, you have lived a very successful life and you've been a super high achiever from the get-go. We already know about your successful career as a pilot, but can you share more about your experiences as a pilot and throw in some of your crazy stories that I've been reading about in your books, as well as your jet ski world record and the charity work that you do? Uh, yeah, well, I I've started in aviation very young at uh, 17, joining the New Zealand Air Force and um, I basically stayed there for about 45 years. It was a great career. I got pretty lucky with the rapid promotion that I had in Qantas, being a, becoming a 747 captain at uh, 31. I have a 31-year-old son now, and I look at him now and I go, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> it seems pretty young to be a 747 captain. But anyway, that's what happened, and uh, I spent a lot of the, of the rest of my career Traveling around the world and uh, being in charge of things and and uh, getting paid pretty well too, so it wasn't bad from that perspective at all. Brilliant. Is there more? Well, you asked about the uh, charity work. Having all that time off, I had a melanoma in two thousand and five, and I decided to uh, ride a jet ski around New Zealand in two thousand and six with a friend of mine, and uh, we did that to raise awareness of skin cancer. Both and islands. Both islands. And it took us 23 days. I wrote a book about that, and that's actually how I got into writing as well because uh, someone, uh, quite a few people said, in fact, that, we, uh, that it was a great book and, and where did you learn to do that or did someone do it for you? And I just said, no, it just came out. So I discovered that I could write, which was, you know, quite lucky really. And then as a result of that 2006 expedition around New Zealand, uh, one of my pilot mates said to me, oh, why don't you ride a, jet, ride a jet ski from London to Sydney? And uh, I said, you're an idiot. Oh. <laughs> Who would do that? Yeah. 
Uh, but then I sat and thought about it for a bit, and he was right. I should have done it, and I and so I I decided to get into it. And uh, three years later, in two thousand and ten, we started riding jet skis from London to Sydney, myself and two other guys. And uh, didn't get that far though, and got down to the uh, uh, the bottom of Turkey, and then I gave up on the jet skis. The, the bodies were fine, but the jet skis um, kept breaking, and I knew that we were going into unfriendly territory, and also a place where there are a lot of sharks down through the Red Sea and uh, and around the bottom of the Gulf there. And so, uh, because the jet skis kept breaking, we decided to call the the event off after a month, and we decided to take the jet skis back to Croatia. And on the way, we got caught in a storm to the south of Santorini and they sunk. And, uh, <laughs> well, they were leaking anyway because they'd, they, they just weren't coping with the, uh, you know, the, the thrashing that we'd given them. And uh, they sunk, so we were rescued by the Greek Air Force uh, about 35 k's to the southeast of Santorini, and that was the end of that. God. But when you when you came home though, I did do a bit of Google stalking, and you did set a world record off the back of that. Ah, uh, yes. Well, uh, one of the guys who came on that uh, 2010 jet ski from London to the bottom of Turkey uh, was a Croatian fella, and um, on the face of it, he looked like he'd be a really good uh, crew member because he had the world record for the longest jet ski ride in a day. And he was a, a mechanic, a sea-do mechanic. So I thought, well, this guy would be really awesome for it. So he had contacted me anyway, and we met in Frankfurt, and we discussed it, and he decided he'd come along. And I thought, wow, I've really got this all tied up. But it turned out that his personality wasn't fantastic. He liked to be right the whole time. And um, so we ended up clashing a lot, and in the end, he... Uh, he, he never shut up about his world record the whole time either, by the way. Uh, in the end, he uh, threatened me with um, bribery. He said he was going to tell my wife that I'd been playing around on the trip if I didn't give him 10,000 euros. Mm. And uh, I said, well, fine, do what you like, but it's not true. So as a result, on, I got back and I thought, well, you know, I might just punish him. And uh, I decided to have a go at his world record. His world record at the time was 1,600 and something kilometres for 24 hours on a jet ski, and I had that done by about hour 16, and I went on and did 2,287. <laughs> Rubbing so salt you, in the wound. Yeah, so you smashed him. <laughs> I smashed him, and the first thing I did after I got off was get him, send him an email and say, your world record, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> what was his response? He said, uh, he said I'll do it with his Croatian accent. Don't worry, I'm not sleeping. I'll come and get it back. <laughs> but he, he never did. It's still the world record to this day. Oh, that's brilliant. Nice revenge. Yeah, totally. <laughs> hey, rate and review us, and we'll love you even more. So going on to rewinding a little bit to this successful career you had as a pilot. Now, I have been immersing myself into your books that are on Amazon, and I'll put some links to the books. Now, it goes into Terry, a character called Terry Flash Gordon, who is a pilot, and he gets up to a lot of mischief. And I'll just put the caveat out there right now. 
men, I'm pretty sure you will all love it, the mischief that he gets up to. Ladies, just going with an open mind. I find it funny, uh, but I'm sure some women may not enjoy some of the antics, but I just think it's a whole lot of fun and life is to be laughed at. So can you share with us any stories that you had from piloting <laughs> Terry Flash Gordon. Whether it's via Terry <laughs> or yourself. Well, uh, Terry was a, a, a creation. He's a, he's a mixed personality of all the dubious characters that I met while I was flying. So anyone who was kind, kind of shady or, or um, naughty or uh, just different, I, I concocted into one pilot called Terry. And, uh, yeah, so he, he gets up to a lot of strife. So I don't think that there's anyone out there that's quite as bad as Terry. <laughs> so, so you can sort of rest easy on that one. But, but then analysing it after the, the two books and, and talking through it with a few people, including Summer, I realised that Terry is a lot of me. <laughs> really? <laughs> Which is really a little bit sad. But <laughs> <laughs> He's a cheeky, cheeky monkey. He is. Uh, and a lot of the stories are me, but some of them are other people. Yeah, uh, so I, what I get with these books is that people go, uh, was that you or was that someone else? And I'll go, oh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, so but much it, curiosity. <laughs> I always answer correctly, though. And some of the stories, of course, maybe 5% of it is exaggerated or, or even untrue, but uh, it's it's what pilots do. You know, they they have a lot of spare time and, and they go out and get themselves into trouble and and it's not really uh, no because <laughs> the pilots you just sort of think they're almost like priests yeah, exactly you know, what I said they're, <laughs> they're, they're so they've got the uniform and the, yeah. the pelts and they the look belt. serious yes and they're in control of this tin thing yeah. in the air that shouldn't be able to fly but I don't know it does and I'm but, all about yeah that. yeah but that's amazing how you guys are all rightly naughty. Well, <laughs> it's like when I was in the police force. <laughs> it's it's the personality type that that lends itself the best to being a pilot. You've, you you know, it's the guys who caused all the trouble in school. Really, it's the guys who were bored with schoolwork and would arc up and and cause trouble down the back of the classroom. And you know, school is boring generally. I mean, unless the teacher's very inspirational, school yeah. is boring. Yeah, I only had a couple of inspirational teachers, and I'd really did just enough to get past at school. But when I got into aviation, I loved it. And, of course, it was easy to get 95 98% and everything because I was committed to it. But, yeah. So it's that sort of personality that it's attracted to the pilot game. And uh, it, they get bored easily. Wow. But, you know, it's not just pilots. I, I'm sure doctors and hospitals uh, oh, yeah. get up to all sorts of hanky-panky and, mm. and, mm. and stockbrokers. And, and, well, you know. I know a lot of those stories. I worked with them. Yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, don't blame the pilots. No. <laughs> it's kind of good to know and, and grounding is. that they're superhuman too. And I feel, to be honest with you, even though Terry Flash Gordon is a cheeky bugger, I actually feel if he is representative of, even in some small way, of pilots being just human as well, I feel like I could approach one and say hi and talk mm, to them normally. Mm. They're not different to us. Yeah. I, I think you'd get a fairly good reception, actually. So. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. You, maybe not so much you, Isaac. <laughs> you never know. It depends who they bat for. <laughs> the, the men love Isaac. <laughs> 
So if you want to know the stories, you'll have to get the books. I will put the links in the show notes. So please check them out. And honestly, I have actually been laying in bed and just giggling my ass off. It, it really had me laughing at some of the stories. So you just don't expect some of the things that come up. I do highly recommend having a read if you are the type of person who doesn't get offended easily. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm really fascinated is your program and the effect it's had on Tink. And I was completely oblivious to how many people are really scared of flying. What's the actual stats on average? Well, according to various studies, it's about 40% of the population wow. are scared of flying in some form, whether that be uh, very scared or just it ruins their flight because they, they have a bit of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a shame, really. And, you know, there, there are a lot of people, a high percentage of people, say 10% that won't go flying. And if you think about it, what will that stop you from doing? It may stop you from being successful in business. It stops you from going on holidays, exploring, mm, going mm. to weddings and things like that. It's a yeah. tragedy, really. Mm. And it's fixable for most people. What's the main, what, what have you found as the main cause? Is it previous trauma, the media, what, what really? Uh, there's a whole lot of different things. Uh, the media is slightly responsible for it in that they seem to um, sensationalise anything to do with aviation. Yeah. But people are just, you know, they, they just, it's natural for humans to, if they don't know what's going on, to assume the worst. And the problem with aviation is that you're sitting down the back and, and you don't have any control over it and you can't see much and you hear all these weird noises and you get all these movements. And it's just a lack of knowledge, really, that causes these causes people to be frightened. And the answer is to get the knowledge. And, and that's what the, the fear of flying course mainly does, is that it teaches you all about how safe aviation is, how aeroplanes are built, how many backup systems there are on board, what sort of training pilots have. And uh, at the end of that, theoretically, and in most cases it works, you realise that it's not really an issue and the next time you're on an aeroplane and you hear a noise, you go, I know what that is because I saw it on the video. That's the flaps running out. And if you're mm-hmm. in turbulence, you know that the aeroplanes don't break up in turbulence because you've, you've been told all this on the course. Mm. And so knowledge is the answer. And that you find just that knowledge will, will uh, help what percentage? Like, Oh, most people, it's about an 85% success rate from the course. Wow. So it's just a real, it's just a rational thing. But once they know that, once they know the, the information, they're fine. That's right, because a fear of flying is totally irrational compared to driving in a car. It's, uh, it's way safer. So Yeah. Yeah. And so if, if anyone out there is listening, get yourself into a fear of flying course or even buy a book would, uh, would help. There are books out there on fear of flying as well. And, and you'll just understand after a while that the whole fear of flying thing is totally irrational. And what's one of the things that you say to people they get great relief from? For example, planes don't break up turbulence and things like that. What's the, the main thing that you find people like, oh, I feel relief now? Well, um, Tink was mentioning that she thinks or had, had been thinking that aeroplanes will just fall out of the sky. And if turbulence starts, that, that's just the pre-runner to the aeroplane diving into the ground and crashing. But oh. it's, it's not the case at all. Aeroplanes are actually inherently stable. That's the way they're designed. They're very tough. It doesn't matter what turbulence you get, they're not going to break up. Not only that, the pilots 
are really good at avoiding turbulence when they can, so you're not ever going to end up in in uh, really bad turbulence. So it's it's the turbulence thing that's not going to kill you. Uh, I had a woman on a course the other day that every time the seatbelt goes sign goes on, she thinks she's going to die. And I, by the end of the course, I had her laughing about it. <laughs> I said, when you when you're on an aeroplane next and, and the seatbelt sign goes boom, you're going to poke everyone around you and go, we're not going to die. We're not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, it was even just that few minutes of conversation we had, and it's thanks to Isaac that we met because. Isaac had invested in a course and you happened to be there. I found out you're a pilot and I beelined for you to go, how do I fix this problem that I have? Because I love to travel, but the the fun is being absorbed by the anxiety of flying, even though I never used to be scared of flying. And I don't know why I suddenly became scared of flying, but it was when you said planes are designed to stay in the sky and what was the next thing you said? Even if both of the engines went out, you would stay in the sky. They're designed to stay in the sky. And that to me, it wasn't long after. And I went to Thailand after that and had the most enjoyable flights of my life because there was absolutely no anxiety. I just kept thinking planes are designed to stay in the sky. So even the turbulence, I started giggling when it was turbulent thought, I know I'm safe and I'm laughing because for the first time, I'm no longer questioning what's happening. So now today I'm partway through the course. So I've already learned mm. so much about all of the backup systems of the plane. So I do highly recommend it. And what? And imagine the synchronicity of that. We go to a, a um, public speaking course and you happen to meet a pilot who actually has that course. Yeah, it's, it's mental. I felt I, like I manifested it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible. So you're uh, the Asia Pacific, is that right, representative of this program? That's right. Did you want to say the name of the program? Uh, it's it's called Simply Fly, and uh, it's uh, it's run by an Israeli company, but it hasn't really got much out of Israel until now. And uh, the boss, uh, Alon, contacted me on LinkedIn and said, hey, do you want to run it in Asia Pacific? And I said, yeah, I'm on board, I'll do something. <laughs> <laughs> and that has to do with flying. Yeah. <laughs> so we've already tapped into the fact that you became a published, or no, that you are an author. So you were self-published. And can we talk about the fact that you're pu- getting published or not? Or is that? Are we yeah, letting- yes, we can. Okay. So you're officially becoming a published author. And your book is actually still in the writing process, which I'm privy to, and I'm very excited to get my hands on this eventually. So how did you, you've kind of tapped into it, but I'd love to know more about how you discovered how you love to write or, or your love of writing and what caused you to go from a pilot to a successful author. There's a story in there and I think it's really important for people mm. 40 and above, particularly 50 to 60, to understand this. Yeah, well, as you know, I, I wrote that first book in 2006 and uh then there was that 2010 event where we ended up getting plucked out of the water by the Greek Air Force. And because everything went so badly wrong on that event, I had a really bad memories of it. And I thought there's no possible way I can write a book on that because it doesn't sit with my sense of humour and, and the way I like to see everything in a lighthearted way. So I didn't write it. But then along came COVID and I was grounded. And I thought, well, Now's a good time to write that book because it's been 10 years and uh, I'm sort of over it to the point where I can see the funny side of it. 
and, and the story needs to be told. So I, I wrote that book in about a month, and then I was still locked down. So I decided to write one about flying, and that was where uh, the first Terry Gordon book came from. So this is during the COVID period. During the yeah. COVID period. And so I, I wrote that, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I, I was just smiling the whole time I wrote that because it was so much fun. And that's part of the secret of, of uh, good writing is to be enjoying what you're writing about. It would be tragic yeah. to have to write about something you hated. But, um, and then so I sent that to a mate of mine who loves flying. That's the, Terry Gordon, the first Terry Gordon book. And uh, he said, but there's not enough flying stuff in it. It's all about his partying and drinking and, and uh, travelling around. And he said, why don't you write, write one with more flying in it? And I said, like what? And he said, write, write about your aviation career. I said, who wants to hear about that? And he said, I do. So I thought, I've got nothing better to do. So I wrote that. That took about six weeks and it's 300 pages long. And that was actually my most successful book. And uh, that's called Kiwis Can Fly because Kiwis can't actually fly. So that's what I call it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just realised, yes. <laughs> I can't. You said I was intelligent earlier. I'm, I'm questioning that. Did I you? did not put two and two together. You didn't figure that out? No. That's sad. I didn't know Kiwis couldn't fly. <laughs> <laughs> I was today years old when I fast. learned that. Yes, okay, good to yep. know. That's changed my world. But anyway, so uh, having, having stopped flying and I decided, right, you know, I I can't just write books because I'm not making any money out of it and mm. I need to keep moving. I started thinking, well, I need to get back into the workforce. And I started applying for flying jobs and anything to do with aviation because I have a lot of expertise and a lot to offer. And believe it or not, even though I was highly overqualified for a lot of these jobs, I never got an interview. In, in, in 2021, 2022, no interviews. And I started to get quite depressed. I sort of had a feeling of no self-worth. Mm. and uh, With so much experience, like decades. I know, I know. So what, what was the reason why? Did they give you a reason? Was it just ageism? It was ageism, but they're not allowed to say that. So no. they would just say, oh, oh, it was just blurb. It was, it was a lot of standard responses. Yeah. But it was, it's quite insulting in a, in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, this went on and on and on. So a hundred, you know, I, I never give up even though I, I actually ended up going on antidepressants for a while. So I kept applying for jobs, applying for jobs. And in the meantime, better write another book, wrote Terry Gordon too. Which is my favourite one so far. I love this one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then I, I came over here for the speaking course where we met. Mm-hmm. I was invited over here by an old friend called Bill, Bill Pickering, who I was in the Air Force with and who flew for Air Pacific. And while we're on this course, we're out having a few beers afterwards and we're saying, both saying the same thing. Why can't we get jobs? Why does no one value our experience? And I started to realise that we had to get past that. The world's changed. Mm. If, if HR departments want 25-year-olds with no experience and that they can pay a third of what they would pay me, that's what they're going to do. And, you know, it might not be right, but... That's the way it is. So I said to Bill, we need to rethink this. We need to stop thinking that we're going to go back flying aeroplanes and we need to work out how we can use our experience where people value it. Mm. And that was a real learning experience for me from that course. Just that, and, and I said to, to Tink, I said, this is a new economy versus old, but I probably had that wrong. But what I really meant was it was 
I needed to get rid of the old thinking and, and start with the new. That is a version, from my perspective, mm. that is an economy. The way we're thinking is an economy. Mm. We, we can yeah, yeah. transact in that space and we can create abundance or we can create lack. So for me, you know, what's going on between the ears is an economy and I think there is a new and an, and an old version of that. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. If you're ready to age young, discover the truth about accessing the fountain of youth and claiming your best ever health, check out our beautiful website at agerebels.com.au where you will find freebies, programs and more. The one thing about the younger pilots though, aren't they going to come unstuck at certain things that only years of experience would understand? It's not all on autopilot and, you know. Well, aviation's got a lot safer, obviously, and the technology, mm. technology keeps advancing, but I think you're right. And I think it's only, only a matter of time before someone pays the price. Yeah. Airline executives who are very short-term thinking will go, I just hope that it doesn't happen while I'm here. Mm. And as long as it doesn't happen while I'm here, I can make a fortune out of the stock price and uh, move on. So, yeah, lack of experience, and it, it may come up in a lot of industries as well, but it probably not with such um, a tragic end as yeah. possibly would happen with an airline. Mm, that's it. That's not helping my fear. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Thing. We just yeah. undid all that work. No, no, yeah. <laughs> you just before you get on, ask how old the pilot is. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. under thirty. Isn't yeah, that, next. Isn't that interesting? Because you're what you just said then is absolutely right. So all of these stupid people making these silly decisions and, mm. and turning their nose up at wisdom. I personally would feel very uncomfortable if I walked onto a plane and the pilot looked young. I want an older pilot. Yeah. That's what I want. Mm. I want to see maturity. I want to see wisdom. I want to see some lines on their face. Yeah, because anyone can be a theorist. Yes. And they're, okay, they're, of course, they've done all their hours and everything. But there are so many, like, what would you say some of the nuances are that you can only get with, because I know in my industry, there's certain things you're not going to really study for. You've, it's, oh, that's it's experience. So true. Yeah. It's only years of experience. From a pilot perspective, it's about recognising risk before anyone else does because the sooner that you recognise a risk and, and, and stop it, the better off you are. And what happens is that there's no obvious signs with a lot of things, but with experience, you get to feel it. You get a gut mm, feeling. You just go, yes. that's exactly it. That's yes, it. it's a feel. Yeah, you, you just get a gut feeling that I don't know what it is that I'm bothered about, but something's bothering me. And you think it through and then you realise what it is. You, yeah. you, you fish around for it and you find it. So you're looking for risk. And young people don't have that experience. Mm. No. Yeah. No. I, I, and I think having been in the police force and seeing how much was taken away, that because it was OH&S, which mm. when you're out on the street, there is no OH&S. If you have to jump a fence, you have to jump a fence. But in the academy, that was all taken out in case someone got an injury. Well, how do you learn how to do that safely <laughs> if it's not there? Like that is absolutely absurd. You got the stepladder monitor. Oh. Hang on a sec. Yeah, I'm five foot two. I'm like, I need to learn how to jump a fence. Come on. <laughs> and they took it away oh, from me. Oh, God, that's hilarious. Yeah, so that is a really interesting perspective that I think there is so much cotton wool 
and avoidance of risk in real real situations. Although I know there's simulators and various things, but without having real world experience, how do you develop those spidey senses that tell you something's yeah. not right? Yeah, you just don't. It's ours on the job. Mm. You know, the, the other thing that that is arising in a lot of industries is affirmative action, and oh, I think there's a there's a place for part of it. But do you really want affirmative action people doing surgery on you? Or do you want the best people? Or yeah, exactly. Well, I know what I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And look, I get that there's been discrimination for a, a lot of years and then the pendulum has to swing a certain distance the opposite direction, but it's got to come back to sensible of it's got to be merit-based. But that being said, how much is there's bias, prejudice in the powers that be that choose? So that's it's one of those really tricky ones. Mm. It's tough. It's, yeah. it's a tough one. You know, it's like I can't say that I don't think affirmative action is good in some ways. Yeah. But it's bad in others. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, now, with your writing, what advice would you give to people? Because often people ask me, it's like, how, how do you begin? How, how do you write? And especially when you're, you've hit a certain point in life and, you, and that self-doubt monster comes around, the best way I find to silence that is to begin to write and write down like some of the really things you've come through and that you're quite proud if you were to go back to your old self and go, go, you do, you did really well. And it's whether you publish or not is relevant, but I find it's like, just begin. Even if it seems like rubbish, it's not the point. You've got this energy inside you that needs movement, that needs expression. That's correct. And uh, writing is, is telling a story on a page. And so if you tell your story like you were sitting in a bar and someone says, what's your go? And you're telling your story mm. and you're just putting it down on paper. And that's, the, and that's what makes a good writer is to be able to put down on paper what their story is. Yeah. As if they're sitting in a bar telling a stranger. That's right. Yeah. Explain and I, I think anything. everyone has a story. Well, everyone has a story. Mm. And that's why I love people watching because even when you – you see a hundred people walk past. Every one of those people has a story. Every one of those people is really important to themselves mm. and to other people. Someone, someone, everyone has someone that loves them. Doesn't matter how weird they look. They're, yeah. impo- they're important people, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And also you, you really can't judge like some of the people, like there's one woman at the, the event we we're at. And then as soon as she began to talk, it was like, wow, your mind. You know, you just didn't expect, she was, you know, just quiet. But once she got up and spoke and it's most intelligent and wise. So, yeah, mm. you, you can never, never tell by the way they dress, by anything really. That's right. And that's why I'm such a people uh, watching lover. We were talking about this earlier at breakfast where we we're talking about we're both people watchers and we sat in that room, specifically in that room, just yeah. looking around and observing. And it's so. It's a fun thing to do. It is. Yeah. You, you literally, it's very rare that I enjoy doing nothing because I'm such a movement yeah. action taker, but that is the one thing, although it seems like I'm doing nothing, I'm processing a lot, but I can actually be still doing that. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. With the, uh, the latest book that I'm writing for the publishers, I sent them through the first, oh, I think it was about 10,000 words, and the publisher in an interview said to me, you're really good at watching people and, and analysing them, aren't you? And, and this is a book about flying. And I had no idea that I was putting that across. 
That's interesting. So yeah. I was thinking, what do, what did I write that made them think that I'm that I'm a people watcher? Wow, and I still couldn't work. So I still can't work it out now. And it, interesting that she picked that up. It'd have to be character development. You'd be able to really, instead of there's Steve in a grey t-shirt and white runners and jeans. You these I'm sure you put little nuances and colour and that sort of uh, depth to it. Possibly. Well, actually, as a reader, I can answer this. <laughs> and actually, you really feel like you get to know the characters in your writing. So even though this next book is not so character-based, is it? It's more aviation-based, is that correct? Pretty much. Yeah, which I can't wait to read that, actually. And I think, I don't know about you, Isaac, I think most people are fascinated by aviation. Yeah, well, because yeah. it's, it's your ticket to freedom. Yeah. You know, as in It's something we freedom. don't know a lot about. Yeah. 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 And actually having that knowledge, like you said, about all the safety features of the plane, that's really cool. I had no idea. The things mm. I've already learned in 90 minutes is just, oh, what was I worried about? <laughs> <laughs> Literally. But, but it's easy because you get on and, you know, when it gets windy, you think everything seems like it's coming apart. It, feel, it, it yeah. sounds like that. That shake, 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 and you're just watching things. And I remember Carl Barron doing a, a comedy skit, and he's sitting there and talking. That he's just the attitude of the Australians, and you see a wing just blow up on fire, and he guy next to him goes, "Yeah, that that doesn't look good." <laughs> <laughs> just that Australian attitude of like, "Oh my god!" It was like, "Yeah, that Should doesn't be right, look mate. good." All right. Seatbelt on. <laughs> that fixes it all. Probably should put my seatbelt on. Yeah, yeah, the funny thing about that is that uh, on, a, on a really nice day, apart from the view, uh, pilots get bored. <laughs> so every time it was really crappy weather, I'd be getting excited and going, right, <laughs> this is a challenge for a change, you know? I would get like that, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, bad weather is, uh, we get excited about it. It's funny, isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> Not funny to me. <laughs> I was actually telling Jeremy earlier about a flight that I had where a really bad storm came through. It changed direction and came straight at the Gold Coast as we were landing. And I could oh, yeah, tell that the that. yeah, the pilots were picking the pockets in the in the clouds and uh it was both I've never felt so thrilled and scared all at the same time and my daughter was thought we were going to die and I'm um, thank God she was there and thinking that because otherwise I would have thought I was going to die and I was more focused on making sure she felt safe. So I had to convince myself I was safe and I'm sitting here, we were safe. And the pilot did a fabulous job. So it actually helped to calibrate my realisation of it's safe and even in that sort of extreme condition. But my God, we were like getting thrown around from all the wind and everything in it. And we still landed beautifully. So. Yeah, see that and. That would be a lot of experience and skill, yeah, as well. It's not just uh, mechanics. It, it, it'd be a combination of it. Yeah. Uh, you, you can get some young guy, young pilots that are pretty good manipulating the controls of the aeroplane, but the, the skill is kind of anticipating the conditions around you. So the older guys that haven't lost their manipulative skills tend to be a little bit better. Mm. Mm, that's interesting. Did you ever fly into, what was it, the old Hong Kong, Kai Tak? Oh, Kai- that was the best fun. Before it, but yeah, yeah, because I remember the first time I went into Hong Kong and I was just like, oh, it's going to be like a rodeo. <laughs> really? I've <laughs> never been. Banged. Tell me. It's, you almost feel like the plane goes sideways and you can see into people's lounge room. Really? Yeah. And they're like, 
at all. <laughs> now, I think you wrote about this in one of the books, didn't you? In the in uh, Terry Gordon book one, I think they went to Hong yeah. Kong, didn't they? What could possibly go wrong is the name of that book, isn't that's it? Right. That's yeah. that's where the, the Chinese guy was mooning them from those high oh, rise apartments. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. They can, at the plane's so close to their apartments. Yeah, and then you wrote about how they opened another airport. The new airport, which yes. is yeah. actually even worse than the old oh, one. Oh gosh! Because it's even though I thought because it's, it's on Lantau Island. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But but the prevailing wind comes over the hill and causes massive turbulence. So oh the no! I've had worse turbulence in, in the new Hong Kong airport than anywhere else in the Ooh. world. So. Well, I'm not going to Hong Kong anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> no, you don't want to go there, just, especially if you're outspoken, you get disappeared real quick. Oh, later, when we've already said about it on air, but uh, previously in other podcasts, but later, Jeremy, we will share with you Isaac's Hong Kong story. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> So close to getting dead. Yeah, very close to getting yep. dead. <laughs> but coming back to uh, the the writing, did you ever get points where you did get sort of stuck? Not really. It's all there. It's all in my head. And uh, if I if I need uh, some inspiration, I'll go onto the internet and and look up some topic that I'm not totally au fait with, and it usually comes up with something that's entertaining. That's a good thing to do. Because yes, yeah, because I. One of the reasons I'm asking, because people often ask about and they get writer's block and this and that, but by the sounds of things, it's it's really, it's got to be really heartfelt and creative and almost like I have a childlike curiosity Yes, as well. uh, The best entertainment and humour comes from real life, if you think about it. The funny things that happen to you in real life, you couldn't couldn't make up. So if you think about the things that have happened to you that are funny, they'll be funny to other people as well. And so all you've got to do is write about them, possibly exaggerate a little bit for yeah. effect yeah. and use some metaphors for uh, sound effects and things yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you come up with a great story, you see. So it's a, it's a, it's a storytelling art of making a, a really good story out of something that other people might not be able to do, I guess. Love this podcast? How about you give us a positive review? We love five stars. The other thing I wanted to ask you is how you managed your health for 45 years knowing that, you know, food and water, exercise, sleep must have been all over the shop. And, you know, you look really, you got very clear eyes, you're very healthy, strong, you know. Well, What did you do? The funny thing is that uh, I, I wrote in one of my books that after I retired, a couple of months later, I realised how unwell I'd been while I was working because oh. when I was working, I had yellow-tinged eyes and I used to get swelling in my ankles after each flight. And it's pretty tough on you. Jet lag, uh, the dry atmosphere, the uh, being up in the middle of the night, not sleeping well. Mm. Uh, it, it's, alcohol? Uh, <laughs> alcohol has, has, I guess, something to do with it. <laughs> it could have something to do with the yellow eyes. Well, maybe, but then I haven't. I haven't. I don't. I don't think I drink any less now, and my eyes are, are not oh, yellow fair. anymore. So, but for me, uh, with flying, I've always been very aware of fitness and health. Uh, I'm guilty of not eating that well. I'm. I'm very fussy. I don't like vegetables and and other healthy stuff. So, really, I, one of these people doesn't like vegetables. One of one of those. Mm, one of those <laughs> people. <laughs> No, instead of the vegan, we've got the anti-vegan. <laughs> That's right. I could never be a vegan. I'd die. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't probably eat as well as I could, but I do a lot of exercise. And 
even with uh, flying, I used to just sleep when I was tired, which helped rather than, you know, if I needed needed to sleep, I'd rather do that than go out towards the end of the career. Anyway, yeah. when I was younger, it wasn't quite like that. It was always out. But yeah, so, uh, and possibly good genes. Mm. Some people some people do age quicker than others. Yeah. And yeah. I, there's a, I think there are genetics to, you know, to blame for that in a lot of cases. Speaking of genetics. You, I think you were serious when you told me about your grandfather. What did I tell you about him? Who he was? Oh, yes, uh, Keith Bullen. So I didn't know who Keith Bullen was. So can you explain who you're actually related to? Uh, he was a, a, physis- a, a New Zealand physicist. Uh, easy for me to say. Physicist. <laughs> <laughs> And a scientist, and he ended up, they, uh, NASA ended up using him for um, calculating out all their space flights and things for a lot, for many years in the early days of the space program. So he was a pretty sharp guy. So intelligence wow. runs in the family as well. NASA? Mm. Jeez. Yeah. But a physicist. Yep. Physicist. Or the sound New Zealand, a physicist. Yeah. And if you Google him, yes, he's like, yeah, quite well-known for what, what he contributed. So, so with the, because I'm interested in this course and I know a lot of people will be very curious, how do they access? Uh, well, at the moment, they're, they can email me, I guess. There's no actual courses being run at the moment, but I've talked to Qantas. I don't want to give them too much of a push about running Fear of Flying courses branded by them with the Simply Fly program, mm-hmm. and I'm just waiting to hear. But they were pretty receptive when I went there. So uh, if they agree, we'll be starting up a whole lot of courses in different centres in Australia in the near future, and uh, people will be able to sign up for those, even if they don't fly Qantas. What I love about them is there is an app that goes with it, and you can actually chat to a pilot. So if you're just about to board a plane and you start to shit your pants, <laughs> then you can just chat, and a, an a actual pilot will respond to you with weather conditions. And that's what Jeremy did for me. So I got a direct line to oh, wow. Ed Honcho. But, yeah, so before I went to Thailand, I started to get a bit obsessed with the weather, like, oh, this stormy. And, uh, and he just messaged me back and, yeah, it was great just to have that confirmation. And would you? how long's the course usually take? Six, six hours. You can do it in a day. Would you ever think of doing it on long-haul flights? Like people could buy it on long haul flights. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, whilst they're flying, whilst I they're think it's flying. brilliant. That's when I would want to yeah. do it because you've got even, nothing else to do. You're even like a intro version. Well, that's where the app comes in. You can take that and you can watch. You can download the videos prior to and watch them on the app. But the thing that we're suggesting to Qantas is that they put those videos on their in-flight entertainment. So yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah, what that's I'm thinking. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think. Well, I hope that they will take up the offer because it's not going to cost them a cent and it's going to get them a lot of loyalty from their customers. Absolutely. And Definitely. Can you, and can you imagine you can get like little groups of people all together and you can all sit there and watch the video and hug. <laughs> <laughs> That's so Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they share all this nice oxytocin. Everyone's feeling fine. Yeah, I think that's yes. what my – you should actually spend time flying around in the business class Hugging bars. people. Yes. Just that this is a hugging lounge. Yes. We were talking about hugging. Hugging is so healthy. Well, I actually, little segue here, because we were talking about what people should do in, I was thinking people in between sets when they're especially lifting heavy minute to two minutes, even three minutes rest, and they're scrolling on their phones and they get distracted. And I thought what would be really cool is if they 
each person had a designated consenting hug partner. So you just hug. <laughs> Not a gym and partner, a hug partner. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're training as well. Well, that would be you. Yes. Because you're the huggiest person in the world. But here's the reason why. I discovered this really interesting study where they injected rats with oxytocin, old rats, and the old rats grew back the same muscle as the young rats. Really? So oxytocin increases muscle growth and density, and it doesn't have the same side effects that testosterone and growth hormone can have where their propensity for over-proliferation of cell division, which is can result in cancer. So I told you he was full of incredible information. That's a whole podcast, I said. Yeah, but that's the hug thing because that the 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 only legal way you can do it because you can't get oxytocin via your even your your GP. I don't know why. Let's record that podcast next week. Okay. (laughs) So one thing I think would be really great to finish off with is there are a lot of people that have been in the position that you are. They probably went through COVID or maybe it wasn't even that, but they were let go or offered a package to be able to exit the career that they'd known for a really long time. And then they probably thought it was a good idea at the time, but then they couldn't get another job because of ageism. And they're thinking, what now? You found a what now. You created it yourself. What advice would you give people that are going through that same depression because of that reason? Uh, Don't give up is one thing. If you give up, you're never going to get anywhere. But uh, you've just got to keep, maybe get off the path that you are looking at and and start diverging, looking for answers. What makes you happy? What can you do? What can you offer people? And maybe go and find like-minded people that you can have discussions with Mm. and Mm. and you can support each other. Uh, I think that would be very helpful. But being on your own is not a good thing in that circumstance. Mm, yeah. And the, the one thing also I'd like to add that I see, often people, they'll hit, say, 40, 50, even 60, and they say, I just disappear. And it's like, and sometimes I'll confront them and go, have you looked at the way you changed, you, the way you dress, the way you stand? You're actually looking like an old person. And so this is why you're disappearing. You know, hell, look at Jeremy's got these funky boots and ripped jeans. And, and look at you, you know, today. Look oh, at Schmick. Oh, Brat and Charlie. You are. <laughs> no, but it's, we're not talking about you've got to be in fashion. I'm not, doesn't matter. But where they start to just shrink and everything about their whole energy shrinks with them. Whereas you meet someone like Jeremy and it's like he has this presence and stance and, you know, funky ripped jeans. And I also age, think. How old are you? <laughs> we should say what decade are you that's another podcast on its own o- older than you 64 okay oh nice not much yeah yeah, yeah not that much older no not much older so yeah but I'm just saying so 64 and some people you like I remember my grandparents are 64 you know they're lovely but you know beige slacks and zip up shoes you know yeah. it's like don't do it yeah yeah absolutely and that was my little two cents worth of when people are like feeling all down it's like get yourself sparked, but that also join up with other people. But a great way to get yourself out of that funk is also it's like, like you said, everyone has a story. Everyone has wisdom, regardless of what they think. It's like, have a look at it and write down what you know, and then start to share it with people. Exactly. And, and you know, a group of people getting together with a lot of experience can help each other and, and maybe get something going together even. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's part of what we're creating with Age Rebels is to bring those people together and create a community yeah. around that and, and show them that there is a whole world to be, a whole life to be lived yet, regardless of whether you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond. Yeah. 
one thing I really appreciate about appreciate about you, Jeremy, and that I've learned today also is that you're very interested in other people too, not just telling your story, but other people's story. And one of the first things you said to me this morning was, tell me your story. And at first I was like, shit, do I have anything to say? And then I didn't really know where to start and we, we started chatting and uh, I think I'm very much like that too. I love other people's stories. Yeah. So be inspired by asking people what their story is and you can draw from that too. Yes, and, and quite often when you hear someone else's story, it makes you feel really good because you're way better off than they were or yeah. you didn't yeah. have to go through that and you, and you can go through it just by listening to that person's experience. Uh, so, yeah. Hearing other people's stories, be interested in other people and, yeah. and you'll learn something. Mm, very cool. Thank you so much for flying all the way from New Zealand to be on our podcast. That's, I think that's the furthest we've, oh no, we had Jonathan, but uh, you've been all around the world. So we're super grateful yeah, that you're spending you. time with us. I didn't realise that. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure to be here. Yeah. Very grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. That's really cool. Great chat. Ciao. Ciao. We are so grateful for the feedback we get about this podcast on a weekly basis. It's literally changing lives. If you like any of these episodes or you just love the podcast, we would love it if you could share it with your friends. Thanks for joining this podcast. Want to take the conversation further and learn more about how to live an energized and pain-free life as you age? Then jump into our website at agerebels.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Age Rebels Revolution.